Hi, I'm Dr. Stephanie Sugar, Clinical Director and Founder of Behavioral Psych Studio in New York and Los Angeles, a practice that specializes in DBT and CBT. My team and I believe strongly in the principles espoused by Dr. Marshall Linehan, the founder of DBT, and we started our podcast to let you in on the secret. Think of DBT as a set of skills or tools that usher you toward the life you want to be living. We are here to help make those skills more accessible, providing real-world relatable examples and applications. While we hope you're able to use these skills to help you improve your life, this podcast and the content in it is not intended to be used as therapy or a substitute for it. DBT is a multimodal, comprehensive treatment intervention, and the skills you will hear us present on House on Fire are only one piece of it. However, once you've practiced these skills, you may not even realize you're using them. It will feel like riding a bike, so hop on and enjoy the ride. Hi, everyone. Welcome to House on Fire, episode 16. We are so happy to have you here. This is Avery Galliott, pronouns she, her, and lovely Emily. Hello. Hi, all. This is Emily Hawkins. I use she, her pronouns, and we're so excited to be with you today. So Avery, last time, um, it was just the two of us. You kind of surprised me with a little fun mindfulness activity, and I thought that I'd return the favor, darling. Ooh! So here's what I want you to do. And listeners slash viewers, if you are in a safe space, please feel free to follow along. I think this could be really fun. So Ave, I'm going to ask you to just go ahead, sit back, relax, close your eyes, attend to your breath for your moment. And I just want you to notice what it's like to take in these words. I am so happy to have you in my life. I feel so lucky to be your friend. You make my world brighter. I'm really grateful for the time that we share. You're so kind and authentic and genuine. You are so smart and funny and thoughtful. I love talking with you. I love hanging out with you. Spending time with you has made things in my life just seem better when everything else is not going so great. Thank you for your friendship. Whenever you're ready, you can just open your eyes. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh, I was not expecting that. I I I didn't know where we were going. And I I noticed, well, first, like ditto. Ditto, ditto. And you gave me something today, which was this sense of warmth in my chest, this almost this heart opening gold glow feeling radiating from my chest and out to my fingertips. And I was so like level 10 mindfulness. I was in it. I was really just tuning into your voice. And I, I had the thought, oh, I want to say all of this back. I noticed that thought. I noticed that urge to like open my eyes and be like, same. And I brought myself back because this moment was for me. And I think sometimes we don't take those moments. Don't take that feedback. I mean, when I wear a dress, my commentary around a compliment is it's got pockets. <laughs> and it's like, yes, same to everything. And I needed that for me. And thank you for offering that to me because in the past, it's been really challenging to sit in kind words. And from you, I felt no discomfort. I just allowed it to be a moment for me. So I appreciate that. Of course. I'm so glad to hear it. And for those of you who are listening, I'd like you to notice that same thing. Did you notice sensations in your body? Did you notice 
picturing the person who you'd want to hear these words from. Um, did you think about all the times when you've received compliments or praise and perhaps you had the urge to suddenly just say it right back, give it right back, oh my gosh, you know, or make a self-deprecating comment maybe. Um, and if you did notice those things, were you able to take it back to the moment and listen and receive? Emma, I'm curious as to when you did it, when you were speaking, what did you notice come up for you? So I noticed really big smile on my face. I noticed like tension in my cheeks because I was just smiling so hard. Um, I noticed a little bit of nervous energy because it was a surprise for you. And I think I had a worry thought, oh my gosh, what if she is like, ew, this is too mushy to be on air. <laughs> um, but, you know, once I noticed that, I kind of did a little, I see you, you're here. I'm doing something right now. Um, so like treating my thought like it's like it's a little one who I have to um, say, hold on to. And then I brought myself back and, and I really enjoyed being in that moment with you. Thank you for the gift. And, and I'm sure, I mean, I'm really curious to how our listeners will respond to it as well, because I think that we are friends. These are words that we share with one another. And so picturing, who do you want to hear this from? Do you want to hear this from yourself? As it relates to our homework, I wanted to kind of bring us back to our topic at hand last time we met, which was Mental Health Action Day. So I want to know, how did you participate in Mental Health Action Day? So I've always had these three mini mantras that I've kept in mind. Um, something for my mind, something for my body, and something for my soul. And I think at different points in my life, I've come back to and gone away from that mantra. Um, for the first time I noticed myself really wanting to bring it back was when I started graduate school and I joined a kickball team in New York, which is where I met my husband. And now that Michael and I have moved to a new state, I've been feeling that pull for connection again. I think I talked about in the mindfulness of current emotions episode, feeling lonely. And so for Mental Health Action Day, that was the day that Michael and I started a brand new kickball team. It was so fun. So we spent an hour just like playing a sport that we love that's really special to us and meeting new friends. And it was awesome. It was a great way to just be mindful of my mental health. I appreciate that you're drawing it back to what you noticed that you needed in that particular episode, like noticing that sense of loneliness and then bringing it to your mind, body, soul mantras and participating in something with your partner that was really healthy, special, fun in the past. I love that. Thanks. It was great. Um, how about you? So a while back, I'd sent you this video of my three-year-old sister in which she goes, my favorite things. One, I love my, and my other sister's name, which we'll just let that one go. Two, I love playing. Four, <laughs> I love walking. And I also love all my sisters and I also love playing and walking is something that I have really put front of mind during warm weather months outside because being cooped up in an apartment in a city that's cold or gray, or even a city that's, you know, sunny some of the time, most of the time, like getting out and moving my body and doing it in a way that's really mindful has given me the space to create distance between being at home and working from home and then actually getting into my work day or actually getting into playing. So just mindfully observing, describing, 
and participating as I explored my local park was a way for me to create really intentional distance between exciting moments, stressful moments, worrisome moments, happy moments. And I, I found myself feeling really at peace afterwards. So continuing to integrate that into my day-to-day. And I think it's important to note that, you know, mental health awareness month is one month of the year. Mental health action day is one day of the year, but it doesn't stop there. So maybe, maybe you don't have the time available to take an entire hour out of the day. Can you carve mini moments? Can you carve little pockets out of your day very intentionally to focus on mental well-being? So today we are talking about managing extreme emotions, as well as a little bit of work around um, some troubleshooting when it comes to emotion regulation skills. We're getting to a place where we are wrapping up our emotion regulation module. And I want to share a little story for you, which is when it comes to me, when I'm in the car and there is traffic, I am very keenly aware of the seatbelt on my body, of the cars rushing around me, of the stop and go, of the urgency to get home or to whichever place I'm going to. And that to me is my ultimate vulnerability factor that I have identified in prompting some form of argument or snippy discussion. And this is universal. This is with almost every person in my life. When I am in traffic, I notice the cars. And then I'm like, I'm fucking pissed at this and I'm going to bring it to you. And that's not helpful. That's unhelpful. It does not get me closer to my long-term life worth living goals. And following this protocol, which Emily's going to get all deep into, is in an effort to bring that emotional temperature that might be prompted by vulnerability factors, might be prompted by judgments, might be prompted by history, biology, what have you, and taking the temperature down. So using the skill in that context, and perhaps we can kind of either use that as an example throughout, or I mean, I've got many examples. I'm sure you've got many examples. We've all experienced extreme emotions. So yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, And I think you're highlighting something, just a very human experience, right? Sometimes our emotional distress is so high that we wind up at what's called the skills breakdown point. Um, Said differently, it's, it's that point in which we're at the very top of our emotional thermometer. I've heard you refer to this as the red zone. Um, you know, that 10 on the scale of zero to 10, how wigged out are you? Um, so basically, we're so escalated that our ability to think critically, our ability to, to problem solve and practice complex skills, or, or even ones that are, you know, one-step skills, um, it evaporates. So first thing that I want to bring to the table is, folks, here are four potential signs that indicate you've reached your skills breakdown point. Numero uno, you're completely caught up in emotion mind. You are solely focused on your emotion. Two, you feel super overwhelmed. It's just like your system is shutting down. Actually, that's the right. Your your mind has shut down. Your brain cannot process information. And four, you're not able to get into problem-solving mode, right? So what that might sound like is, Uh, repeating the same thing over and over again, but not necessarily taking action on it. And so for Avery, for your scenario, uh, you can't problem solve the fact that 
you're in this traffic and obviously you can't necessarily get out of traffic, but maybe your brain isn't going to the place of, uh, okay, let me put on Google Maps and see if there's an alternate route. Or maybe I can turn on the radio and listen to that podcast that you like um, to soothe my emotions. Your brain's not going there because you're too busy freaking the fuck out over the traffic. So signs to know. And I will say, it's so important to identify your personal skills breakdown point. So for those who are listening, what I'd urge you to consider is when you're not in a crisis situation, think back on a previous uh, emotional episode and then figure out, okay, where were you when you hit your wall and you simply could not use your skills, even if you wanted to? For Avery, you said it's that moment in traffic. Um, for me, there are particular like hotspot conversations that I'll have with different loved ones in my life. If I'm having a hotspot conversation, I'm primed. I'm coming into the conversation angry. And it's a very short window of opportunity that I have to re-regulate before I just get escalated in that moment. So knowing when am I in the red zone, that's the first thing. Avery, are there any other times that you have found yourself in the red zone? So traffic is a big one for you. Any other ones? Yeah, I appreciate you asking because I think when you said those certain hot topics, not the view, the fun version is the view, the, well, maybe the fun version is the view, the unfun version, um, you know, difficult conversations that you return to again and again, that you may not have perhaps resolved over time. I'm having the thought that for me, like my other most recent memory of this, and I'm really proud of the way that I handled it, by the way, I experienced pretty profound anxiety when discussing anything to do with finances and budgeting, because I don't feel personally, especially financially literate. And I, I think that's a disservice that was done to many of us. There's no class on that. There's no class on that, even if you, I mean, from what I understand, like personal finance isn't addressed in like an econ degree in undergrad. So even if you're in you know, a higher level of education, you're not learning about this. You have to seek it out. And I was so afraid. I was so anxious about the topic that I just avoided it. And now as an adult, discussing it makes me hit the red zone really quickly. And it's an anxiety red zone versus an anger red zone. And I... I really am proud of how I walked through these steps with myself, as well as coped ahead for a conversation that I knew was coming down the pipeline and that I wanted to have effectively. I wanted to manage it effectively and I was scared. So I used my DVT skills. Nice. So without further ado, what do you do when you're at your skills breakdown point? Um, Avery and I and Marshall Linehan recommend following these three steps. So first, you want to use those crisis survival skills. Those are your stop skills, like how we talked about in episode six, your distraction skills, uh, and your self-soothe skills, as well as your tip skills, right? Doing that ice dive, um, holding some ice cubes in your hand, using intense exercise. I will say it's important to remember that sometimes it takes a while for these skills to work. So when I am at my skills breakdown point, um, if I've had a hotspot conversation and I'm getting elevated, um, I need three things right away. I need to be horizontal, boom, bed, couch, now. I need Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> I need some Derek Shepard and Meredith and Christine Yang on my little phone 
and I need some fucking chocolate. And I just know, boop, boop, boop. It's like a recipe for me. Now, there are times that I am actually at a breakdown point for myself. Um, I might've talked about this incident where I was at a bank and I was like being really rigid in my thinking. I had my whole day planned and the bank wasn't open and I just crumbled like a sack of potatoes. <laughs> okay, I can't lie down. Well, I guess I could have laid down on the sidewalk, but you know, social nuance and all that. So being able to realize that if you're not in a space to use your go-to skills, and this is why we advocate for practicing all different types of skills, because in the moment, you don't know what's going to be available to you. Um, just know that it might take a little bit longer. You might need to take um, a shower that's a little bit you know, warmer and stay in there for a little bit longer to do your self-soothe. You might have to watch 15 minutes of a YouTube video in order to notice your emotional intensity de-escalating. So give it some time to work. Step one, crisis survival skills. So this is why Em and I really advocate for a coping kit. And we actually discuss this kind of mental health first aid kit, crisis survival kit, to have some of these tangible items at the ready, whether that's a list of horizontal grazed chocolate or actually having your phone charged so that you can definitely get to your graze, having a little piece of chocolate in this coping kit. I'm wondering if we can talk about some kind of go-tos that you think of putting in that kit for people. Oh, for sure. So um, essential oils is something that a lot of folks have done. You just get like one of those mini bottles, lavender, sage, eucalyptus, whatever it is that you're like, bam, strong smell. Um, this is pretty powerful in the midst of anxiety moments, moments of like anxiety attack, sour candies, often helpful. If you like do your sour patch kids, your lemon heads, it's something small. It's something you can just throw, um, in a pocketbook or a pocket. Crackable ice pack. Ooh, crackable ice pack. Yes. Love that. Love that. Sometimes fidgets can be really helpful for people or like sensory objects, something to touch that's comfy and cozy. I see M getting up from her computer to grab something, which I'm excited. Show and tell. Ooh, let's see. Ooh, what is that? Okay. I am like full grown adult and I love slime and it smells like gummy bears. Small. I can just like toss it in my bag. Yes. This is something that it's also cold. So it's cold to the touch. You know, I can smell it. I can stretch it. I can do my whole thing with it. Brilliant. And one other thing that I have used in the past, um, in my wallet, I would actually put um, a picture of a moment, a printed picture of a moment that was really special to me. And when I had utilized this skill was way back in, I guess it was late high school. And it was a picture of me and my youngest sister at the time. And on the back, I wrote some coping mantras, which were really helpful for me to reference during moments of distress when I had my wallet. So it might be useful for some folks to have these things their wallet, in their backpack, in their pocketbook, in their, you know, underwear drawer, wherever. And you want to make it accessible. That actually just reminded me that um, I have two things in my phone. One, I have a note to myself. That's like, when you have this fight, read this note. So the first thing that it says, the opening line is, hey, I know, I know that you're like feeling all of that right now. So it's, it's validating because I'm like, yes, I am feeling that way. And then it goes, it's like a script to help me get back into wise mind and remember my long-term goals, which I think is so helpful in the moment. Um, Cause there's no way I'm going to like be able to tell myself that when I'm at my skills breakdown point, but reading it, I can be like, yeah. The second thing that I keep in my phone is 
And this was during a time when I was having bouts of um, pretty intense sadness that were lasting for a long time. And it was more challenging to get out of bed. Uh, it was challenging to, you know, do things like brush my hair and shower. So I called it the behavior activation list because I'm a fucking therapist and I couldn't think of a cuter way of saying that, but it's like 10 things to do when you're in this space. And so it was like, call your bestie, like make a card or a care package, um, like watch a workout video or do one, go clean your little space. So it's like things that, again, when I'm in that state, I'm not able to generate the ideas. So they're prepared for me. And this is something I have my patients do too. It's a brilliant methodology, if I do say so myself, because when when we're at that point, we're not thinking in that critical way. We're not thinking in the long-term. This is the short-term and this emotion is going to last forever. And I know it. And that's a fact. Uh-uh-uh. Here's the list from when I was in Wise Mind that I created for you, sad self. And that's why you'd want to go over to, to step two. So if you've tried the crisis survival skills, if you've really given them, you know, you're all and you're noticing that the emotional intensity is still there. Sometimes the most useful thing that you can do with those extreme emotions is to sit with them because sooner or later they go down. We know that emotions don't last forever. You can try my trick of looking at a clock. You can do what Avery was talking about. Put your hand on the place where you're noticing sensations, whether it's your chest, your belly. The more that we welcome our emotions as passing waves, the less likely they are to topple us over. So if steps one and two aren't helping, then you're going to move on to step three, troubleshooting, which Avery is going to walk us through right now. And for those of you out there who actually have a DBT manual, we're taking a peek at emotion regulation handout number 24. So troubleshooting is a really important part. You're evaluating what are factors that might get in the way? Why might this not be working? And one of the main ones that I think actually a couple of days ago, Emily and I were talking about that I notice really kind of primes me for a skills breakdown or hitting the red zone more quickly is asking, am I biologically more vulnerable? So is there some sort of temporary change in biology? Am I sick? Um, for menstruators, am I having my period? Did I have too little or too much food? Thinking about use of substances, too much or too little sleep, exercise, movement. So asking, what's going on here? And is there anything here that might make me more biologically vulnerable to my emotions? Your girl needs food. Your girl needs food. If I'm hungry, I'm hulking out, man. I need food. Um, for my partner, it's sleep. My dude needs his sleep. Then I like to ask, did I use the skill correctly? Because one thing that Emily and I know is there's often this conception around skills use that it didn't work. Tip didn't work. Tipping the temperature, intense exercise, progressive muscle relaxation, and paced breathing. Those things didn't work. And those things work if you do them all the way, because we have the capacity to tap into our autonomic nervous system. And these are the skills that to me are the tried and true crisis survival skills. So if they didn't work, were you doing it all the way? And or read through the instructions for each skill that you tried. If that doesn't help, good time to, if you have an individual provider, if you're in DBT, reach out for phone coaching. Is my environment reinforcing my emotionality? You explained reinforcement really beautifully um, during the skills group that we lead last night. And I'd like you to talk about this. Yeah. So um, to, to make it less fancy, right? What does it mean when something is reinforcing your emotionality. It's like, if I'm distressed, 
and I'm anxious about something. And I say to Avery, oh my God, no, I just can't do it. Look, I need you to do the group notes tonight because I, I'm just, I, I can't, I can't. I, I, was, I have so much on my plate right now. And Avery goes, okay, okay, Emily, yeah, totally. Do you want me to do the group notes for the next two weeks to take that off your plate? If she's super fucking nice and like meeting my need in that moment, it's going to increase the likelihood that in the future, I display that escalated emotion. Because what you've kind of taught me is, hey, in order to get support, this is what I need to do, right? It's not like a puppet master thing where I'm like, ooh, now it works. It's kind of like a subconscious level of learning, but it's a powerful one. Beautiful. Asking yourself, am I putting in that time, putting in that effort required for emotion regulation? And doing a pros and cons can be a really useful way to assess what's the pro of practicing? What's the pro of not practicing? What's the con of practicing? What's the con of not practicing? Or pros and cons of acting on or not acting on urges associated with emotion dysregulation. Sometimes I'll think about practicing radical acceptance, using willing hands, half smile, turning the mind and making that intentional commitment. Am I too upset to use complicated skills? So this is what the emotion regulation like skills breakdown protocol for those extreme emotions is all about. So practicing your most important skills intensively when you're not in emotion mind to build that muscle up so that you can attend to those skills at that skills breakdown point and having those tangibles, those props at the ready with a coping kit perhaps, or visualizing, this is how I walk to the freezer and grab my ice pack or actually practicing it and walking to the freezer and putting the ice pack on. Then I want to think about our emotion myths getting in the way here. So sometimes we might have judgmental myths about emotions. There is a right way to feel in every situation. I shouldn't feel X emotion, Y emotion. What about you, Em? Any emotion myths that you can think of? I think a big one might be like extreme emotions are going to get me like what I want and need, kind of going back to the reinforcement piece. So instead, I might challenge our listeners to think, well, extreme emotions, they can oftentimes cause a lot of trouble for me and other people. So if my emotion isn't effective, it might be worth trying to regulate for a little bit. You know, I think sometimes we self-identify, I'll use this term, um, it's like you're married to your emotion. We think it works for us or we think I am my emotions. So we want to get divorced from our emotions a little bit. We want to create that space so that we could see the emotion from a wise mind perspective. Absolutely. And it really takes this pathway of checking those facts, challenging the myths and practicing thinking in a non-judgmental and or dialectical manner. When it comes to those myths, these are mistaken beliefs and they can be really pervasive. So I actually very recently walked through challenging some myths with a group of clients. And if you can notice within yourself, what are myths that come up for me? What are these mistaken beliefs? And really spending time to critically think about, check the facts and challenge, reframing into a more wise-minded statement may be a useful tool for you. And then finally, it's time for homework assignment. Okay, so this week for homework, what we'd like you to do is combine coping ahead 
with troubleshooting extreme emotions. A skills breakdown point can be with any type of extreme emotion. It could be with anger, like how Avery talked about in her traffic example. It can be sadness, like I talked about with my low mood state example, you know, not showering, staying in bed. It can be anxiety, like in the financial examples. So think back to what are your situations? What are your emotional hotspots? Are they particular conversations? Are they situations like being caught up in traffic? Um, So find out what those personal cues are for you and then go through the process of, okay, what skills do I want to have on hand? What are the crisis survival skills that I'm going to use? What what tools am I going to use for my coping kit? How can I practice mindfulness of emotions in that moment? And then go through some of those questions. Like, do you notice that, Avery, like if you were in traffic, I imagine that if you're in traffic after a long day at work, you probably haven't eaten in a while. And so the hunger might be a variable also coming into play. Can you toss an apple or like a granola bar into your purse? So being able to ask yourself those questions as a little primer, again, you're building the muscle in your brain ahead of time, which makes you much more likely, which reinforces your skills use uh, later on. And report back to us in the comments. Woo! For more information on House on Fire, head to our Instagram page at House on Fire Pod. Shoot us a DM. For more information on Behavioral Psych Studio, check out behavioralpsychstudio.com. Check out our show notes in the podcast description for further reading materials.